water, earth, fire, air. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Black Case Diaries podcast. My name is Robin. I am here with... Marcy! And Adam. Yay! Hey! Hey! hey. Almost all forgot there. who I was. <laughs> I know, did you guys notice the long pause before <laughs> they introduced themselves? <laughs> we, we weren't here for a second. We had to teleport in. Ah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, it's a very special day here at the Black Ace Diaries, and honestly, in the world, everywhere. Everyone should stop for a moment. I mean, honestly, it should be a national holiday. <laughs> it really should. This episode is going to be released a little bit early, one day early, but we're going to pretend, we're all just going to use our imagination and pretend that it's February 21st. Yes. Because February 21st is the 15th anniversary of Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, 15 years ago, Nickelodeon premiered a TV show that is still considered to be one of the best animated shows of all time. I say it's considered, I just mean a lot of people think this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender. In the era of SpongeBob, Fairly Odd Parents, and Drake and Josh, this show stood out for its animation style, intense storyline, and unique characters. Those are just three very popular shows from 2005. Mm-hmm. At the time, those were shows that were at the top of their game. Yeah. Everybody loved them. And then this weird dark horse came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Although it aired in the children's network and is widely considered to be a children's show, Avatar appeals to many different audiences and age groups. It is a series of breathtaking animation and detail, funny quips, and heartfelt moments. This show is the quintessential example of that, where a show, even though it's animated and it looks like a kid's show, kinda, <laughs> it can be enjoyed by anyone and everyone yeah and i need that i i'm so glad it exists because it's the perfect example i to emphasize this like animation is for everyone everybody like Mm -hmm. stop i mean yes a lot of animation is made for kids yes 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 but it's not always that way there is a difference yeah there is animation that is specifically targeted to children Mm -hmm. it's mostly for children and examples that i like to use is trolls Mm-hmm. I mean, Trolls yeah. is a great example of a movie that is meant for kids. If you're an adult and you go in to see Trolls <laughs> and you say, eh, you know what, that wasn't really for me. That I mean, it wasn't meant for you. That's right. not, mm-hmm. it wasn't. And then there are movies that are more targeted to both children and adults. Mm-hmm. Like Toy Story, for example. You yeah. know, that's mm-hmm. that's a movie. And so you, the anim- it's because these movies are animated. That's not what makes them for kids. What makes them for kids is when, you know, the story, the characters, all of that is targeted, tested, and meant specifically just for children. Avatar was a show that was, I mean, it was tested for kids, and it was geared toward children, and it was on a children's network, but it was also something that was meant for adults to watch. They they knew that older people would watch this show. They, mm-hmm. they gave kids enough credit. Yeah. In this show, and it's something that a lot of movies and shows don't really do that often, is like create a world that children 
can understand but don't hold their hand. You know, they they still talk about certain topics or like I mean shoot the the shows takes place during a war for goodness sake. But they don't shy away from that and and it's better the show's better for it yeah it's actually this is kind of an issue just with all kinds of media with books and yeah, movies yeah. it's actually kind of tough to create media specifically for tweens for kids that are in this age group that avatar was really i mean the main characters in this show are between 12 and 16 years old and and that is an age group that's really hard to create media specifically for and so you know a lot of the time with avatar they did they did a really good job of doing that of you know these these aren't children these are young adults these are people that they're they're going to understand these complex ideas and if they don't understand it they might remember this show when they're a little older rewatch it and then they'll then they'll see it and you know if they're just younger they'll just like the colors and and the funny lines Sokka's funny you know and still enough entertainment value yeah and so it really is a great show that bridges that gap because that is a problem that's like a that time where kids really feel lost Mm. and they they don't really know what's meant for them and they just you know yeah and Oh, sorry, a time when it's really hard to find a present for them, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, for goodness sake. Um, but the answer, of course, is Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> That's the answer every time. There it is. Yep. So we're going to talk a little bit about how the show was made. We're going to go into some some hefty detail, probably. And we're also going to talk <laughs> a little bit about our experience with the show, why we like it so much, and you know, it's just going to be a great, really great time. Yeah. It's essentially, this episode's going to be a love letter to this show. It really is. And if it runs a little long, oops. It <laughs> it's possible that we might go over our time limit. Yeah. In the early 2000s, Nickelodeon was shifting its focus to include shows that explored more mythical and legendary storylines. Eric Coleman, the vice president of animation development, approached Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko and asked them for a show pitch. The men returned one month later with the early concepts that would become Avatar, The Last Airbender. What a turnaround. That's quick. Yeah. For for the amount of detail and depth that this world has, not just the show... There's so much detail beyond mm-hmm. in a month. That's crazy. Yeah, it's the idea is really interesting to me because I know that in this initial pitch there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that had been flushed out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to come up with an original idea, to, to be like, oh, I don't have anything. I can't think of anything off yeah. the top of my head. Give me a month. You know, yeah. and they come up with a, a totally original idea, and it, it's it, it's yeah. such an and they have some drawings. And yeah, stuff. I mean, these are really creative people. Yeah. I wish that we could delay everything by one month, <laughs> just so that it could be original. Inspired by documentaries about Antarctic exploration, the team. When I say team, I I mean these two guys developed a show (laughs) concept about nations of people based on the four elements. One of the key pieces of the puzzle was how to create an action show without too much violence. So they created the idea of bending elements instead of weaponry. So this was something, you know, (laughs) when Eric Coleman came to them, he said, I need a show that's mythical and legendary but I do not need a lot of violence. I need something that is going to be 
for children in the sense that children will be be able to relate to these characters it needs to be told from a child's perspective or a character that children could relate to and uh, you know the violence thing is kind of important yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's an amazing idea to to do this you know bending elements and and if you go back and watch the show almost Aside from Sokka, but almost every time somebody comes up with, like, a weapon, it gets taken out so quickly. The the normal weaponry that everyone would use is kind of shoved to the side. It's right. not important because, I mean, you can't have this world where not everyone can bend mm-hmm. and not have some of these weapons, right? right. Oh, they're really overshadowed by, yeah. by bending, and it's such a brilliant idea. They pitched the story to Eric Coleman, and the team started working on the pilot. Brian went to Korea for a few months to work with artists there on the initial 11-minute episode. The characters were complex, and animation and animators would sometimes spend as much as 15 hours in the studio trying to complete the pilot in time. The, the passion that had to go into yeah. something like that, to dedicate that much time to it. And when it was a pilot, you know, it might not even go anywhere. Right. And, you know, the thing that I remember a quote from Brian, because, you know, there there's this sweet 30-minute documentary about Avatar. And I remember the quote that I always sticks in my brain is when he says, there was a time where it felt like we were the only ones who cared about Avatar. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you have this thing. Imagine this concept and this idea that only 15, let's say 15, 20 people care about. And a few years later, millions of people care about it. You know, it's it's just the expansion is insane. And it's because of all of that hard work. 15-hour days in a foreign country for three months. Once the pilot tested well, the show was greenlit for 13 episodes. Woo-hoo. Yay! Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is great and also not great at the same time. Because <laughs> this, is, this is one of those, like, yay, we're happy, now we're panicking kind of situations. <laughs> because... You, it was so much work. It was so hard to create an 11-minute episode. And now you have to do 13 of them. They need to be full-length episodes. <laughs> have fun. Bye. <laughs> you have the same time. amount of time. Yeah. yeah. same amount of time. <laughs> so, of course, they had to hire a lot of people <laughs> in order yes. to make what? this happen. You mean two people just couldn't pull this off? <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about how they made the show. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Yay. So one of the cornerstones of this show is the action. And the way that they animated each person was very specific. The team was dedicated to learning traditional Chinese martial arts styles. So they sought out Sifu Kisu, who has the coolest name in the world. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> it's a fact. It's just his name yeah. is so cool. Yep. A martial arts teacher who helped them develop the individual fighting styles for the four nations. So each nation now at this point, you know, they've have they have developed the story and there are now they've decided there are four nations and they're each based on what the four elements, right? Mm-hmm. This person, Sifu Kisu, heard what they were saying and he immediately translated that into, Okay, all right, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So if somebody is going to be fighting with Earth this is what their movements would probably look like. Yeah. You know, and it was it's just really neat when you have somebody 
who's an expert and they align with your vision so well. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they, they can tell you, oh, yeah, no, I totally understand what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's, that's so great that yeah. it just clicks because you don't have to keep explaining. And it's like, well, well, from the beginning, they probably weren't sure how the bending would work. I bet everyone was very waterbendy-ish, yeah. you know. Everyone just kind of moves stuff around with their hands. Yeah. Whereas this guy, Sifukisu, just getting it and understanding, it's like, oh, I I know exactly what you're you mean, and I know exactly which martial arts style is going to fit with this because it just speaks the element. You know, the way they move, it just fits in with the attitude. Yeah. Not only of the characters of that nation, but the element it's based on. So they had Sifu Kisu, and they also had another teacher, Sifu Manuel, or Sifu Manny, I think they mm-hmm. called him. He came in to help them develop a special style for a special character in the show, Toph. If you've watched the show, if you're a fan of the show, which you might be, because you saw the title of this episode and you clicked on it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you're not, there is a character in the show who is blind. And it would make sense that a character who cannot see would not fight the way everyone else would because right. it wouldn't necessarily work the same. And also, you've never really seen anybody else fight. It, it would kind mm-hmm. of, it would make sense you can't that exactly, you would fight differently. Yeah, you can't even learn the same way because mm-hmm. um, most martial arts are taught by example. You know, you ha- follow an expert and they show you the correct moves and, right. and, and stuff like that. So a blind person obviously can't learn that way. So Toph has to develop her own style and it's... Based on yeah, what's what Sifu Manny right. came up with. This, if if you watch the documentary, it says this particular martial arts style relies a lot on pre-existing contact. Right, if you're already touching somebody, you've got them. Mm-hmm. Whether you're like hitting them or not, if you just touch them, anytime they move, you're already there. You're already going to take care of what whatever they're doing. But with a lot of the combat and a lot of the action in this show, people are at a distance, right? So they kind of had to do a mixture of the two where she's – Toph is using these martial arts moves, but obviously she still needs to project rocks forward at somebody or or, or launch them in a direction. Yeah, yeah. So there's a mixture of both the – this martial arts style based on contact and potential – potentially developed by blind warriors – but fixing some of the other issues with the earth bending being able to see with the vibrations of people through the earth right. and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, it was a great way to solve that so issue. So smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Genius. So, Brian, it seemed like Brian was the one that's really into the, into the martial arts. <laughs> yeah. And Brian and the director of, of the episode would take a script and they would cut it down and they, they would look at all of the fight scenes and they would choreograph the fight scenes and then they would act them out. They would videotape them and then animators would watch the videotapes and then create the scenes based on the choreographed videotapes. So talk about a process. <laughs> that is, Ooh, that I is mean. showing your work right there. Really, it's absolutely. And what do you do with all that? Like when you're done with the show and you have 40 hours. I hope somebody <laughs> has a hard drive of all that. <laughs> of all of that. <laughs> if I were Sifu Kisu, I would keep all that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it's so much work, but it made it so good because 
you know, they were able to really model everything after actually watching it. And I'm sure it was really helpful for animators because, you know, when you're pulling animators onto a project, they might not have necessarily worked on anything similar to this animation style before. So then, you know, they need to look at stuff Mm-hmm. That's going to yeah, help them. Yeah. yeah. And see the vision that you want them to portray. Yeah. And, you know, that was really their jobs as creators, and they did it. They fulfilled that role. Yeah. Yeah. So they the creators really wanted this expansive universe. They wanted you to watch the show and feel like it's a real world and a real place. There's these beautiful, wide landscapes. They really wanted it to be an epic, and that is what made it so different from every other Nickelodeon show mm-hmm. that it existed at the time. Yeah. You know, and they had a variety of shots. They had wide, tight, medium, detail shots. I remember being a kid watching the show. I noticed that they had, I didn't know it was called rack focus at the time, but they did rack focus in this show mm-hmm. where you have something in the foreground, something in the background, and then it mm-hmm. focuses, it's focusing on one and then shifts to the other, right? And I remember seeing that and thinking, I've never seen that in an animated show ever. I, I was a kid, and I, and I understood how special that was. Yeah, yeah. It's something that's so ingrained in movies and live-action TV now that we don't really notice. It's just commonplace at this point. But for someone to add this into an animation is such a big deal to make, the, to make it feel yeah. like an epic, like right. a big high budget project yeah. you know along with some of the other stuff not only just like a rack focus but you, we noticed some of the lighting yes the lighting it, whether they're in an environment or close up on a shot you got that little that famous little light triangle on their face mm-hmm. things like that it's like it was shot with the camera but yeah. it wasn't yeah it was animated it's amazing <laughs> If we haven't convinced you to watch the show already, I mean, <laughs> just do it. Right. The music in the show also really helps build that cinematic experience. Uh, it was done by Jeremy Zuckerman and Ben Wynn. Together, they were the track team that created the music for the show, music and sound effects, I think. They used all kinds. They found the best instruments yep. they could possibly use. Yep. It really fit the style of the show. Yeah, it's somewhat eastern asian kind of sound with these with these really old instruments that are like traditional instruments but then you know with a new school flair on top of it right it's oh god it's so good i could not imagine this show without the music oh oh my goodness the music makes me cry i'm (laughs) i'm gonna cry just talking about the music it's it's so epic yeah. yeah. And yeah. It, it's just wonderful. You can it brings you through all the emotions of what's happening on screen. Mm-hmm. It it brings you in and it mm-hmm. holds you. I don't know. It's so advanced for you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. For for someone to say that it's just oh, it's a kids show. It blows my mind because it's, it's so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's such a disservice. They went so above and beyond yeah. what was even not only the common animation we talked about spongebob and yeah all those other shows which are great and they're a big oh my success God. you I mean, guys know exactly how much we love spongebob yeah it's amazing yeah but to do to go the next level i would say even a few levels beyond the next level like you know if spongebob's at level five then avatar is <laughs> easily at level 10 it's it's <laughs> it's something that has gone such so beyond what was the common place for animation and 
just TV shows for this yeah. age group in general, it's 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 mind blowing. Yeah. So the success of the show came from how well it was made, as we just talked about. But what truly connected with fans was the story and the characters. The story was meant from beginning to have a finite ending with three seasons and I believe 61 episodes. No matter how upset it made creators and fans, Brian and Mike were consistently clear that the show would end. And building toward that ending was what made the story so solid. Yep. There's even a quote Mm -hmm. from Brian where he says, if somebody came up to me, and said, I have the best story in the world, and it never ends. That he would just turn around and walk away. Because you don't want to hear something like that. You don't want to hear a story that never ends because it doesn't pay off. It just continues and continues. And in some cases, that's fine. Again, mentioning SpongeBob. Like, you can you can do each, each episode is its own right. little thing. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. But with an overarching story that takes place over three seasons and has such a build up to a climax that is just unreal yeah you know it's the perfect way to do it because if you know sure avatar continued in other ways comics the legend of Korra later on right but this story as a whole was perfectly sealed up with a nice bow and it's it's perfect yeah i mean other words this is something that you know another tv show that is totally unrelated but (laughs) <laughs> it's reminding me it's something that the tv show the good place kind of focuses okay, on yeah it's the idea that you know something having an ending is what gives it meaning mm. and having an ending to something really enhances it i mean imagine if the story continued after the the four-part finality finale Susan's comment Right. It would just Imagine dilute if it, it kept going. It would. Exactly, it would dilute it. That's the perfect word. It would dilute the entire show. Yeah. So we're gonna go over a, the, a synopsis of the show. It's gonna be hard for us to summarize <laughs> this show. So, in a world of elemental magic, there are four elemental nations: the Northern and Southern Water Tribes, the Earth Kingdom, the Fire Nation, and the Air Nomads. The Avatar, the one person who can control all elements, upholds the balance of these four nations. The Avatar is reincarnated into a young boy named Aang, who is reawakened after being frozen in ice for a hundred years to embark on a dangerous journey to fulfill his destiny. With the help of friends he meets along the way, he will have to fight to bring peace to the world. Thank epic. you very much. But I believe Aang can, can save, save the, the world. All right, all right. <laughs> We've seen it once or twice. A few times. Yeah. Actually, it's about coming up to my uh, my biannual watch. Oh, really? really? <laughs> so we're going to go through the characters a little bit. We're going to talk about so just some, some fun th- little things about them. And also, you know, th- this is... This is going to be the fun part where we just kind of talk about how much we Woo-hoo. love the show. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, let's do it. All right. So let's start with Aang. Yes. Aang is played by Zach Tyler, and he's a young monk from 100 years in the past. Originally, Michael and Brian imagined Aang to be from 1,000 years before the events of the show, from a more advanced civilization. In early drawings, he had a futuristic staff and a robot sidekick. Yep. So originally, Aang did not have an arrow. When they did the first drawings of Aang, he didn't have a, he was a, just a bald little monk. 
and he had i know so cute and he had a robot sidekick who was supposed to talk kind of be an actual just character with him who had an arrow on his head and he was also a cyborg and uh, there was this polar bear with an arrow on his head too which is kind of yeah just kind of neat and uh, those characters became Appa and Momo later on. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, the story was meant to be way more sci-fi. There was it was going to be a much more scientific sci-fi universe. Yeah, almost like almost like a a civilization that has been able to harness magic in such a way that anyone can use it as technology. Mm-hmm. If you imagine like. Uh, take a smartphone for example instead of it using computers and electronics and stuff it would do some of the same things but it would also be able to lift things or yeah. you know it would be able to move water around it right so magic being channeled through technology is kind of the way they were initially going yeah but they kind of took that away and was like well let's just stick with the magic and i think good choice uh, yeah i'd say so <laughs> yeah so yeah, when once they decided it wasn't going to be so sci-fi, they you know they made his staff just a regular old staff that you know transforms into a glider, <laughs> and uh, you know they made Appa and Momo instead of you know the other two ca- characters, whatever their names would be. Yeah. So the Air Nation, which Ang is from, was inspired by Buddhist and Tibetan societies. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Aang is a cute, fun-loving 12-year-old kid that was thrust into an impossible situation with immense responsibility. He is a skilled martial artist, and as the Avatar, he is the most powerful bender in the world. But because of his nature and upbringing, he is hesitant to use that power to hurt others. There's this really great lesson with him. There's lots of times with this arc, or this story with Aang, where he doesn't want to do something because of his beliefs, or he's the boring one that tells telling everybody, now you shouldn't do this because that's bad. You know, right. revenge is bad. Don't do this. And uh, people kind of write him off and kind of ignore him. And and then, yeah, it, it gets to a point near, you know, at the climax of the story where everyone says, why don't you just kill the Fire Lord? Why don't you just do it? And Aang He's perfect as the main character because yeah. he's the only character given the task of killing the Fire Lord, the ability to kill the Fire Lord. Nobody else could do it. Mm-hmm. And he's the only one who won't do it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to sacrifice your beliefs just because it's the easy thing to do. Right. And, th- and that's what everybody wants him to do. Yeah. He's so torn between the two because he is an air nomad first and avatar second in his own mind because he wants to continue to do what he's always done growing up at the air temples and all that stuff him being taught certain things you know he's a vegetarian he he believes in nonviolence that kind of stuff but also being the avatar is kind of you know from the perspective of the rest of the world, kind of the opposite of that, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. expecting the Avatar to just take care of business, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, well, who's the one guy causing all the problems? Oh, the Fire Lord, get rid of him. And Aang is so conflicted within himself because he has to, to to save the world, basically, but he can't because it would it would destroy part of himself yeah. at the same time. And it's so he's exactly the person who should have that power. Yeah, seriously. it's Because he won't do it. Right. 
So we're going to move on from Aang, and we're going to talk a little bit about his, his animal sidekicks, his animal friends, Appa and Momo. Yay. Appa and Momo are both voiced by D. Bradley Baker. Woohoo! I mean, could it have been anyone else? No. Can anyone else? I, no, no one does animal, but I like mean, D. Bradley Baker. There, I was going to say, yeah, there are other people who probably could have, but <laughs> not even on the same level. I mean, man. yeah. <laughs> He's just, you know, D. Bradley Baker is going to have to record every animal noise possible i think <laughs> and that so that when yeah. he dies someday they yeah. just have a library of animal noises yeah. <laughs> he's he's like he's got the perfect niche in the voice acting industry because he can do other stuff i'm sure he's done regular voices yeah. oh before. he has yeah yeah but nobody does animals like him and everyone needs animals in their show exactly you know not, everyone needs crickets. 90 yeah exactly 95 percent of the time somebody's gonna need animal noises so. yes yes Appa is Aang's best friend and flying bison. The artists were inspired by manatees and bison to draw Appa. So they were inspired by the way that a manatee is really big, but it has a very sweet face Mm -hmm. and it gracefully floats through water like it's weightless. And so they had this idea that what if there was something like that that could fly? And that's where they came up. And they and they looked at real manatees and bison to, to develop the design for Appa. Yeah. And they added six legs as, you know, a tribute to the cat bus in Hayao Miyazaki's work. Yep. Specifically from My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. Um, he's, the, he's a blend. Appa is the perfect blend of all three of those things. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's got that bison face, right? He's got the arrow on his head from the original drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, they got the six legs, but then the tail at the end is very manatee. It's very flat. Yes. It's perfect mm-hmm. for pushing air, cause yeah. just like it would push water. So he's it's, it's such a well-designed guy. I One of my favorite things about the universe of Avatar is how they blend animals together. Yeah, yeah. It's, all the time. It's amazing. There's even a joke about it. There's an episode where they say, you know, they say, it says here he has a pet bear. And I said, you mean platypus bear? No, it, it just says bear. Gopher bear? It, it says bear. Like, I, I, <laughs> it's such a funny, you know, scene. Cause just it, bear. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody's confused. Yeah. <laughs> But they do. They they blend together these these animals, and they're just so cute. Fufu cuddly poops is the the cutest oh, uh, little animal. The the it's like a saber tooth rain- moose lion. Yeah, uh, turtle ducks I think are my favorite. Oh though. yeah. Oh my god! I wish turtle ducks were real. Turtle ducks are great. Yeah, so 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 cute. And then um, there's one though that I find a little weird. They call them. They just call them penguins. Oh yeah! From the from the oh, beginning, yeah, the beginning. Mm-hmm. they just call them penguins, but I think they're penguin otters. Yes, is how, mm-hmm. what I would call them because the they've got they the otter around. face and they've got the like double flippers and they're yeah they kind of yeah. slide around. So I think that's what I'd call them. But it's odd how they just call them penguins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So originally there was going to be twenty bison, and they broke that down to just one small family of bison, and then they decided just Appa. Just the one. Appa's the only one. But I think they use that family idea in A Legend of Korra later on, where they have a little family of bison. Yep. And in flashbacks and stuff, you can yeah. see how the bison used to be before the yes. Aerial Man's Yes, they still use that animation yeah. for stuff. Yeah. yeah. So for Momo, as we said before, Momo was originally a robot. But his name was Momo 3. <laughs> 
The show slowly became less sci-fi, and the creators transformed a talking robot to a cross between a ring-tailed lemur and a spotted bat. So cute. Yeah. Momo is one of the, like, is one of those animals where it's like, uh, being a huge Pokemon fan, I'm like, oh, yeah, I really want a Pikachu. Or, yeah, oh, I really want a Vulpix as a pet or something like that, you know? Yeah. Momo is one of those things, yeah. you know? Yeah. Momo's like, I would love to have a flying lemur a- mm-hmm. as a pet in real life. It would just be I know. so so fun. I would like that, yeah. too. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite things was how, like, he always wanted to eat. And yes. then, like, so the, I remember this one scene <laughs> where Aang is giving them, uh, like, a watermelon or something, and he yeah. splits it. <laughs> and, of course, he splits it so that way Appa gets more than Momo, and he gives it, and, like, Momo's all, like, sad or whatever, and Aang's like, come on, you know that's fair. Appa's got three stomachs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. It's always it's funny because it seems like Momo understands them. Both of the animals mm. seem like yeah. they really understand what they're saying, which is not a totally weird idea. This is a totally different universe yeah. mm-hmm. with its own, you know, map and you know, rules of yeah. the universe, so it's possible that the animals kind of get it at least a little bit. Especially Appa. Yeah. Not only does he listen to like commands, but Aang talks to him all the time mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. feel like Appa's kind of replying in his own way. Yeah. Momo was almost dropped from the story. What? But instead, Aang finds him at the deserted air temple as a symbol of hope for the future. So, yeah, actually, they almost dropped him from the story because originally he was going to be frozen in the iceberg with Aang uh, when Katara and Sokka discover Aang in the iceberg. And they thought, that's too much. It's too much that Appa and Momo. All three of them. And so yeah. they were going to drop him from the story, but then they thought, well, you know what? Wouldn't it be great later if if he discovers Momo as a sign that, you know, not all life from Aang's past is totally gone. Mm-hmm. Katara! Hooray! Woo! Fun fact, one of my cats is named after Katara. Yeah! <laughs> Just so I let you guys yes. know that. Katara was voiced by Mae Whitman. She is in uh, Scott Pilgrim. She yeah, plays yeah. she plays the ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. in Scott uh-huh. Pilgrim. She's in Parenthood. She's in Good Girls, I think now, the TV show. Mm-hmm. She was a little baby girl in Hope Floats. You guys ever watch Hope Floats? Oh, no, I don't know that one. She was a little baby girl. Yeah. The creators consider Katara to be the heart of the show. Even in a parody episode called The Ember Island Players, the show jokes about Katara's infatuation with hope. <laughs> but this was a big part of her character. They wanted her to symbolize hope and love and friendship. To the creators, it was important that there would be a strong female lead to appeal to young girls watching the show. The show itself was targeted to boys, but Brian and Mike always knew that young girls would also be interested in an action-adventure epic as well. I mean, we've got two examples right here. Yeah. I cannot, I can't even believe that the show was targeted to boys. I, I would yeah. say that it's right down the middle. Yeah, mm-hmm. when, when I was when I started watching it, I had no inkling that it was not for me. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was exactly for me, yep. and that was why I loved it so much. Katara's original name was Kaya. But there was a video game character named Kaya, and it had to be changed. Her second name was Kana, before they settled on Katara. Nice. Kaya is actually Katara's mother's name, and Kana is her grand-grand. 
Uh-huh. Yes. So they snuck them in there, yes. Yes, yes they did. Yep. Katara is a really interesting character. She wants to be a really good bender. She ha- is very unsure of herself in some ways. You know, she's just kind of, she's got this brother that's kind of always, you know, talking her down and yapping in her ear. Yeah, and, making it seem like her ability is weird. Right. You know. And, you know, she feels lonely because she's the only person she knows that can bend and isolated and when she discovers ang in the iceberg she's so caring toward him and so accepting i mean she just found a living being inside of an iceberg which is insane (laughs) and you know she's so you know she's young and sweet and hopeful and you know when when she finds it she's honestly i think like one of the big parts of her character is how brave she is. Yeah. You know, she sees an opportunity to become a better bender and she just takes it. She's like, hey, hey, village, people I've known my whole life, the only life I've ever known. Yeah. I'm going to go across the world now and learn how to waterbend. Yeah. Yep. See ya. With the person I just met, he was in an iceberg. Yeah. Yep. Like, you know, she, you know, she is just so, she, she takes risks and uh, over time in the show, be- she becomes incredible incredibly powerful oh yeah mm. seriously beyond even the her her teacher yes because in that episode i think it's the finale of season one mm-hmm. or or around there they they don't teach women f- to fight with water bending in the northern tribe but she's like uh no <laughs> i um, want to learn this real bad so you know they work on that and she doesn't give up and that's another part of her character she yeah. she never gives up on anything that she knows is right or in this case she knows it's wrong that they don't teach right. women this mm-hmm. right so she's gonna fight for it and she succeeds yeah. there is there are times in the show where katara really is flawed mm-hmm. and yeah. and i think one of the things, and, and all of these characters are, mm-hmm. I think that's what makes the show so beautiful. I think it's also worth noting that they are children. Yeah. They're not adults with fully, supposedly, like, yeah. fully formed right. emotions and things like that. When you're a kid, you, I mean, especially them, they're going through a lot more than right, a right. lot, of, like, any normal American child would go through yeah. or anything like that. So they've got all these different pressures and they're still children. So they're going to do things wrong. Right. I mean, they're going to mess up. Yeah. They're kids. I mean, yeah. there's moments where she, I know that there's an episode where she's just angry at her dad the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I watched this with my dad and I remember he asked me, why is she, why? Why is she, why is she acting like that? And it, Katara herself doesn't really understand, you know, but mm-hmm. she's a teenager you know, she's upset because she feels like her dad kind of abandoned them. It, it's moments like that where the audience, you know, sees these flaws in these characters. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why, but I feel like somehow it's easier to pick them out with Katara than it is with other characters in the show. Mm-hmm. Maybe because she is kind of a mother figure to the other characters and because mm-hmm. she does try to lead by example. And she she is very much you know, look, you know, this is the way to do things. Right. And, and basically being the number two to Aang, right? She's basically yes. the second main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hardly even a subordinate character at that point. Yeah. yeah. She has her moments, but so does everybody. I mean, the desert episode, there's an episode where they're all stuck in the desert mm-hmm. and they're all being horrible. I mean, absolutely. I mean, and yeah. It, yeah. it's totally understandable. They're all starving. They're dying of thirst. Yeah. And Sokka's hallucinating. Yeah. And Katara is the only one 
who doesn't lose her shit on everybody. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's incredibly hard. You watch her fight through it. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I think that, you know, she definitely has a lot of redeeming qualities. Yeah. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. No, seriously, because you can imagine how miserable they must be, not only yeah. because of what just happened. Aang is furious because Appa's gone, mm-hmm. and Toph can't see shit in the sand. Yeah. And Sokka's hallucinating. They're, 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 and on top of that, it's probably so incredibly hot yes. in the desert. I mean, it always is, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. And, and it's miserable. And somehow <laughs> she's still able to keep them from killing right. each other. Right. Or, or just losing it. And, it's, and it shows that it's a good show because there are episodes like that. Mm-hmm. Episodes that are so hard to watch. They're not fun to watch, but they are necessary yeah, because they, yeah. they build characters you uh, you can see them in these tough situations and you know you really and also there's com- some good comic relief in that episode too yeah with Sokka yeah. and this cactus juice and Sokka is the next person that we're going to talk about yay, yay. Sokka was played by Jack DeSena <laughs> from the All That reboot I don't know if you guys remember yeah. the second All That reboot but he was on there dude I cannot not think of Sokka whenever I hear this guy mm-hmm. he does a lot of other stuff and he's actually in um, a more recent show. He's in The Dragon Prince. Oh, okay. And I can't yeah. unhear Sokka oh, in his character. Right. And it's like, you're doing great, man. But, but you're, God, just, you're, you're just Sokka. Sokka, man. You're Sokka. Yeah, Sokka was very clearly the comic relief of the show. He was created with Katara to have a sibling rivalry and was meant to appeal to the audience as an everyman. Sokka and Katara were the perfect way <laughs> to introduce the audience to the universe of Avatar. Mm-hmm. They are this funny pair. They, you know, where they just don't really agree on stuff. They're brother and sister. Siblings mm-hmm. bigger. It, and... Perfect example of siblings. And, uh, you know, when you know, they're, you know, she's doing the bending and, and Sokka is so frustrated, you know, like, I'm just a guy with a boomerang. I didn't ask for all this flying and magic, you know, <laughs> you know these things that, you know, are going on around yeah, him. Yeah. When they first created him, he was kind of one dimensional. He was supposed to be funny. He was supposed to just be the every everyday person. And then they thought, but yeah, he got left behind. He's the only young adult in his tribe. Everybody else, every other male in the tribe is is a baby. And or he at war. And he had to watch yeah. everybody leave for war. Yeah. He feels like he is the protector of this tribe mm-hmm. and he has ultimately no power. Yeah, he, but, he's he's only what? I think 14, 15? I think at the beginning of the show Aang is 12, mm-hmm. I think Katara is 14, I think Sokka is 16. Okay. Sokka's given the responsibility of the whole tribe at 16. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost just kind of pageantry. He's in charge on a technicality, and nothing really is ever going to happen, you know? But also, I think he has this fear that something's going to happen, and that he's not going to be able to do anything about it, and he hides all of these insecurities with humor. We see in the first, the very first episode when they're challenged by the Fire Nation, the Fire Nation is coming to the tribe, and obviously they don't care at all about the tribe. They're there for Aang. But Sokka, you know, goes in, he does the war paint, he gets ready, you know, he is prepared for battle. Mm-hmm. He's a kid. And uh, Sokka has this really wonderful character arc because by the end of the show, he's confident, He's still funny. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, he he just he's a leader. He's the leader of Team Avatar. You would think that the leader of the team would be Aang, but it's not. It's Sokka. Sokka leads the team. He comes up with the plans. He ties everybody together. He he does he does a lot for the group morale. He names them Team Avatar. Yeah. yeah. You know. Oh, his names for everything. <laughs> yeah. So moving on from Sokka, we have Toph. Voiced by Jesse Flower. Hooray. I think I wrote five paragraphs on Toph. <laughs> <laughs> Toph is such a great character. It's She's very complicated and yet so easy to get. Yeah, it's a common theme with these characters. They're, yeah. they're all pretty complicated yeah. characters. Some of them are simpler than others. but Yeah, yeah Toph is the toughest character in the show. No coincidence, she's... Ca- she's T- tough, tough. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yes. She is one of the most powerful benders. She, I'd say, I would say, if I had to rank the benders in the show, like, mm-hmm. I don't know where I'd put Ozai, but I definitely say Toph is like second to Aang. She is. Yeah, only because Aang is the avatar. Only because Aang is the avatar. Yeah, if That's Aang, it. If Aang were just an airbender, then Toph would be. Toph above would him. be number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she is one of the most powerful benders in the entire world. And she knows it. Yeah. Yeah. She knows it. She had and will never, she will never apologize mm-hmm. for being powerful. And she has no problem with everybody knowing how strong and powerful that she is. And she doesn't, I mean, she, she hardly has to tell them. She can just show them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she, she is probably the most powerful earthbender yeah. in the whole world, let alone yeah. this show. Yeah. Yeah. It's honestly, I cannot tell you how important it is to have a character, a female character like that in the show. You have Katara, who's a little, she's a little shyer about her power, at least in the beginning. And over time, she becomes more powerful and she's more like, okay, look, look, I'm, I'm really good. Yeah, watch this. Yeah. But <laughs> the thing is, it's important for young girls to see strong female characters that are not all of the same. Mm-hmm. It's really important. It's important to have more than one in the group because then you have different personalities and it's okay to, it's to telling girls, look, it's okay to not all be the same. Yeah, if, if mm-hmm. she were just like Katara, or if she was shy about her power too, it would be a, not yeah. only would she be a, a worse role model, but she would be, the show would be more boring. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, Toph is a way of showing young girls, it's okay yeah. to be proud of, of your ability and it's okay for you to know how awesome you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- there's nothing wrong with to that. To be good at what you do and doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. just so knock it, it might, out of the park every time. It might time. turn some people off, but there's still there's nothing wrong with it. There that. are going to be other people who appreciate it. Yeah. Just like the rest of Team Avatar eventually Ex- comes oh to. Oh, my God. Guys, I just rewatched the whole show. And if Toph <laughs> didn't join the team, there's no way they could have. There's no uh-huh. way they could have made it through the yeah. show. Yep. Toph saves their lives time and time again. Mm-hmm. If it weren't for her, they they wouldn't have made in it. In split moments too, like yeah. where it's not even acknowledged that Toph just yes. saved. Yes, they, don't, all their they lives. don't even they don't even talk what, about it. One yeah. one moment that I think about is uh, the Serpent's Pass episode. Yeah, where they're bending the water to because part of the path goes under the ocean, mm-hmm. and. They're bending the water to kind of walk along the path underneath, and that's great. But then the serpent, the 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 monster comes and attacks them and breaks the seal of the water, and it starts to flood. Toph reacts immediately, brings a column yep. of earth up to the surface, mm-hmm. 
and nobody reacts. Yeah, nobody. Yep. Toph literally just saved all of them. Oh. Yeah, she saves everybody's lives. And, and like there, there was this. I think there's one scene where she just under her breath, she's just like, "You're welcome, everybody." Like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know where it's like, oh, is no one yeah. gonna mention that <laughs> nope. I just saved everybody? Yeah, and, yeah. So, all right, Toph comes from a rich, pampered background where she was forced to be someone that she wasn't. Sorry, is she speaking of her her family and stuff? Is she the only person with a last name? Yes, because she's so rich. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah, only rich people have last names in in this show, and that's kind of how it was in the old time. Yeah. Although she was born blind, she learned earthbending from blind badger moles. Badger moles. Badger moles. Big bad badger moles. <laughs> <laughs> Toph was originally a male character. Until one of the head writers, Aaron Ahaz, of Dragon Prince fame, he's the, he's the creator of Dragon mm-hmm. Prince, he was one of the head writers in Avatar, and he suggested that they make her female. They did not like this idea. He had to suggest this a lot. Mm-hmm. But after a while, they thought, you know what? It might be kind of funny to have this character with this big personality, this brash, cocky character and have it in the body of an adorable little girl. (laughs) (laughs) And they were right. And they were right. Jessie Flower originally voiced a character in one episode in season one. It's a fortune teller episode, and uh, I think she she plays Mang is the name of the character. Mm -hmm. She has a crush on Aang. Mang and Aang, that's right. (laughs) And (laughs) I never noticed that. And they wanted, they actually almost had that character come back. Oh, it'd just be her. As a, yeah, oh. because they loved the wow. personality and the voice that Jesse Flower brought to that character. And then when they decided to make Toph a girl, that's when they said, "Okay, let's just bring Jesse Flower back." And so she got she was brought back to be Toph. Sweet. Yeah, Toph sounds like tough. <laughs> Even though they thought that including another female lead would connect the show further to young girls, which I think it did. It, it did. Oh, yeah. The most comments about Toph came from young men who cited her as their favorite character. Oh, nice. They said they, it, I think I, I was reading the, the quote they said was, sometimes it feels better to be wrong than it does to be right. Yeah. To know that you know young men were watching the show and admired a character like that, it made them feel good. Yeah, because yeah. she's a beast. Yeah. yeah. She is a beast. A supervising director on uh, <laughs> on Avatar was quoted in saying, she is blind, and I don't know how to express this in English. She just won. <laughs> yes. She's, she's that's, just, that's, that's, that's who she just is. just what she does. She just, she just she won. She just wins, wins, doing... wins, no matter what. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> you guys were both in the same wavelength. It was very sweet. <laughs> so next we're going to talk about Zuko. Hooray. Voiced by Dante Bosco from Hook. He's another guy who's like, you're just Zuko now. Yeah, I'm that's sorry. just who you are. Can't hear anybody <laughs> else. I forget his character name, but he he plays another character in Korra. Mm-hmm. And just like, oh, you must be related to Zuko. Yeah. You sound exactly <laughs> He plays like him. one of Zuko's I think yeah, I think he is like actually related to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a yeah. Fire Nation captain or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Nice. Zuko undergoes the most change of any character in the show and introduces to the, in, introduces the audience to the concept of a villain you can root for. So I just forced my dad to watch this whole show. <laughs> and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But 
when we first started watching the show, my dad was so, he's so used to the cartoons he grew up with, right? Where when there was a bad guy, they were a bad guy. And that was that. Mm-hmm. And we were watching Avatar and my dad kept asking me, he would say, because in the beginning, Zuko is bad guy. Like, you get it? Mm-hmm. He's the villain. Like, you understand. And then over time, you know, they just introduce more information about him. He's very layered. He's very interesting. And my dad would ask me, why are why is the bad guy so likable in this show? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that, it's a very good question. It's because he's not really the bad guy. And, you know, this is... It's such an interesting thing to do with a kid's show because we all want monsters, right? We all want things that are easy to hate. We want something that is so easy to look at and go, that is bad, that must end, let's kill that, let's move on. We want that. We want faceless villains that we don't Mm -hmm. care about. But that's not how the world works. Mm -hmm. It's never how the world has ever worked. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so this idea of having Zuko... And, you know, you don't like him in the beginning because he's chasing after Aang and he's a problem. (laughs) But, you know, Uncle is hilarious. You know, Zuko and Uncle are a great team together. They foil each other. They're perfect. They're a perfect pair. You know, you have, you start to learn all of these things about Zuko. And then you realize, I really like this character. I like that he has drive. I like that there's a purpose to what he's doing. Even though that's to stop the main character of the show, you still like him, and you're supposed to. Yeah, even though he's a member of the Fire Nation, who up until this point were led to believe were the worst yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. And later on in the show, they, they do it even more, where like you they visit the Fire Nation, and like not everyone is bad. It's like, exactly. you know, Ozai is doing the, the decision-making, right? So, yeah. But so it's not though all oh, black and white is what it turns out to be. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, the Fire Nation is the worst." Anyone yeah, we see that. one Fire Nation guy, and he get out of there. Right. But, but yeah, we end up liking these characters. Like, oh, we're not these the aren't yeah. these the bad guys? I mean, it's you know, we get to kind of see more from the perspective of Aang over time, where you know it's so important that they have a character who's from a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Because a hundred years right, ago, right. just because you were in the Fire Nation, it didn't mean you were bad. And uh, you know, then you then you look at Sokka, and Sokka's perspective is, oh, if they're Fire Nation, they're bad. That's Sokka's perspective mm-hmm. because his entire life, all he's ever known is that the Fire Nation is bad. But that has nothing to do with the individual people that live there. Right, and mm-hmm. and we should point out the reason for that, Aang disappeared a hundred years ago and the war started like right there the war started right when he disappeared like at the same time nearly so it's not that Sokka grew up and then the war started and now he hates fire nation people the war has been going on that entire time for 100 years for 100 years and there is there is no point in Sokka's or anyone up into that point, really's life, where the Fire Nation was not the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's no surprise that all of those characters would think Fire Nation equals bad, no matter what. But Aang, being the only person who doesn't see it that way, having experienced what old Fire Nation exactly. was like, he's like, I have friends, in the, I have friends in the Fire Nation. Yeah, 
he's blown away when they say the Fire Nation is bad. He's so, yeah. And it's so it's why it's so good that he has that perspective, you mm-hmm. know, that because other people in that time are like, uh-uh. Right, and he's the first person to kind of turn around on Zuko a little bit. Yeah. Even though it gets like... Aang never really, Ang never really hated Zuko. And especially because Aang was able to see, like, well, you're just a kid too. Yeah. yeah. Or he says, "Well, you're just a kid. Well, you're just a teenager." Yeah. Like he's not buying his crap. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's he's not this tough, yeah, thing to be feared because he's just a, another guy. Exactly. Because at one point, I believe he saves Zuko or something, and Zuko's kind of out of it, and he's lay, you know, Zuko's laying down, and Aang's like, you know, we we really could have been friends. I think, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the blue spirit where Aang is captured, and Zuko comes and he appears to save him, mm-hmm. but Zuko is really trying to just capture him for himself. Mm-hmm. And when Zuko is running off with Aang. Aang does save him when they're being pursued. Mm-hmm. He finds out that it's Zuko, and he kind of freaks out a little bit because he's he's afraid of Zuko. He's yeah. he knows what Zuko wants to do with him, and there is this. It is a really wonderful little moment when Zuko wakes up and and Aang just kind of plants the seed. It didn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this way. And then you know, Aang takes off. Oh, God, this show's so good, you guys. (laughs) So layered. Zuko is such a great character because he's got such a backstory. And I think that, you know, I was reading the notes of the creators and kind of how they came to the conclusion that Zuko would be so interesting. You know, originally, he there was not going to be any bad guy in this show except for the Fire Lord. The Fire Lord was going to be this, you know, he ruled from afar, and that was it. And that's when, you know, you know, it was Eric Coleman. And he asked them, he said, well, what about, what if there was a character that maybe reoccurred and that was actually actively pursuing Aang? And so they came up with Zuko. They were like, oh, you know what? Let's make him scary. Let's give him a scar. So he's a scary <laughs> villain and chases him. And they thought, what if his dad gave him that scar? Yeah. And then suddenly he became a much more interesting character. Yeah. yeah. And what if... He was banished. And the only reason he's pursuing Aang is because it's the only way that he thinks he can be accepted by his family and be back home where he belongs. Yeah, the only person who ever seemed to care more about him was his mother who disappeared Mm -hmm. when he was really young Mm -hmm. and then growing up, maturing to about 16-ish, we said, with people hating him. Basically, I guess his uncle never hated him, but just that feeling of people hating him and not being accepted by his own people, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. Um, And real quick, can we talk about for a second how the episode Zuko Alone is one of the the best episodes of the whole series? I think it is. I mean, it's incredible. This character who is not a main character, you know, is able to carry this whole episode by himself. And it's such an amazing piece where he does all of this stuff for this family and they, they yeah. welcome him in and then immediately, oh, you're Fire Nation? Just kidding. Mm. Yeah. And it's so, it's heartbreaking. Because and he's Zuko's, okay with it because he totally... It's what he's used to. But it's mm-hmm. but to us, it's so heartbreaking because of all of the stuff he's just done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But wow, such a great episode. So the last person we're going to really go in depth on 
is Uncle Iroh. Woo! Oh, I love Uncle Iroh. Yeah. Yeah. Another fan favorite, Uncle Iroh was voiced by Mako and later Greg Baldwin. So the original voice of Uncle Iroh passed away after they recorded for season two. And so Greg Baldwin stepped in and took over for season three and did an incredible job. Mm-hmm. He really matched the voice very well. You can kind of tell a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But he did such a wonderful job. Actually, he did such a good job that they brought him back to do Mako's voices in the later series of Samurai Jack. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of coincided, his, his passing actually is kind of a, a, a fitting coincidence with the show. He He passed away, and that was the same time where Iroh doesn't talk for a long time. Mm-hmm being in in the the prison yeah you know he refuses to talk to zuko until zuko figures his shit out mm-hmm. yes and then once he realizes that like this is happening he busts out of prison and all that stuff and he's okay but it's kind of a fitting coincidence where the voice of iroh had just passed away iroh doesn't talk for a little while yeah and it's kind of kind of this amazing thing that happened but but yeah yeah um greg baldwin did did do a fantastic job right and if you're unfamiliar with Mako, he they named a character after him in Korra. Yep. And if you're watching the show, there's there's an episode, I think it's called Tales of Bossing Say. And the episode is just little kind of tableaus, little shorts, and they're following different characters because all of the characters are in the, the city of Bossing Say. And at the end of the episode when I think it is the end of the I episode. I think he's the last one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this, they follow Iroh. Iroh's story. And Iroh is on a little picnic. And he goes up to the tree. And he lights he lights some incense. And he puts out a picture of his son who died in battle. Iroh was a general before. And now he's basically just watching Zuko's his job. And uh, he puts out a picture of his son and he sings a song to him and the episode ends and it says uh in memory of mako so mm-hmm. they dedicated that episode to him so if you've ever seen that episode and you wondered who that was that's who it was mm-hmm. it was his voice actor if you ever get the urge that you want to cry go ahead and watch <laughs> iroh's story because it's oh, it's a, a tearjerker like, oh yeah i no I, I think for me, it's the 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 part of the show that will get me to cry every time. Mm-hmm. Like there are other moments that are very sad or, or emotional, but that one. So to kind of honor him and the character of Uncle Iroh, the drink of the week this week is the Jasmine Dragon, which is, of course, Uncle Iroh's tea shop. Yeah. Yes. Oh, nice, Mars. That was perfect. <laughs> perfect, yes. So Uncle Iroh was meant to be just Zuko's teacher. And then they thought it might be more interesting if he was related to Zuko. Aaron Ahaz described him as a man trying to enjoy his retirement, but was forced to watch his nephew instead. That is a great way to describe Uncle Iroh. <laughs> yeah. It's his total attitude. He's just trying to have a good time, and then he's got this annoying nephew who is just kind of rude all the time. It was Mako, though, the original voice actor who gave Uncle the level of wisdom and personality that made fans fall in love with him. There's a scene 
I can't remember which season it's in necessarily, but there's a scene when Uncle is teaching Zuko about redirecting lightning, and he draws in the sand the pictures of the four nations, Mm -hmm. and he explains to him, you know, we need all we need the balance of all of these four nations mm-hmm. because he was explaining how he learned the technique from water bending and so he was explaining that and that was such something that really shows you that Iroh is fire nation he's related to the royal family but he understands that balance is necessary and that the Fire Nation shouldn't be the only nation, even though that's what the Fire Nation has been preaching for right. 100 years. I mean, every the, every villain is the hero of their own story, right? Ex- I mean, kind of except for the Fire Lord. Uh huh. Kind of mm-hmm. dick. It's kind of hard for the, it's kind of hard for the Fire Lord. There's not enough of him in the show for us to really right. connect with him, so we don't really see him as that. Right, but. In the flashbacks, when we talk about Avatar Roku, who was the Avatar just before Aang, mm-hmm. and Sozin, Fire Lord Sozin, the guy who started the war, originally his vision was like, spread the wealth to the rest of the world, right? Yeah. The Fire Nation's doing so well. And it's like, maybe, maybe sort of Iroh had some of that going on in his head when he was a general. Oh, yeah. And he's like, you know... Because why else would he want to wage war if he believed in this balance stuff? But after losing his son, he's had to take a step back and it's like, no, this is this doesn't work. This isn't how things should yeah. go. Mm-hmm. And really emphasize, yeah. really starts to emphasize we, that balance. We see Iroh late. We don't see Iroh early enough to watch the change. Yeah. But we see Iroh after he's lost his son, after he lost the battle at Ba Sing Se, and we see Iroh after he has been written out of his own family because he was the heir to the throne and he got surpassed for his younger brother. Yeah. Who is now the was, heir. Because he was such a failure. He And because he didn't have a, a firstborn son. Yeah. So when he would eventually die, he wouldn't have an heir. Mm-hmm. And so because, you know... All of these things have happened to him. A lot of bad stuff has happened to him. Mm-hmm. But he's always kind. Mm-hmm. And he's always wise. He's got the best lines in the show. Yeah. He's funny. Oh, yeah. You know, Iroh is a truly resilient character. And, you know, he is always there for Zuko, even when Zuko really fucks up. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that's that's why everybody loves him so much. He's this constant character you know, in Zuko's life, and it doesn't matter what Zuko does. Mm-hmm. He's there. He loves him. Yep. Yeah. It, it, one of my favorite moments of Iroh is when Toph uh, ran away, basically, from, from Team Avatar because she was upset about something. I don't remember mm-hmm. the context. But she runs into Iroh, and one of his lines I love so much is, like, sharing tea with a very interesting stranger is one of life's true delights and i'm like oh, iroh sees the best in everyone know, right? and it just is the best yeah. it's he's and i love that he doesn't push zuko he knows that zuko's hurting he knows that zuko's angry that zuko has this own path that he has to take and he's not trying to push zuko to be good right away he's like okay this is a kid that needs to figure out yeah 
what he needs. He knows that Zuko <laughs> will find the right way. Yes. Right. He just has faith in you him. You need to start asking yourself the big questions. Mm-hmm. Who are you and what do you want? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, Iroh is really great, and we're going to move on a little bit. Hot diggity dog. We're going to do some also. So the show is also starring Jenny Kwan as Suki. Suki and the hey. Kiyoshi Warriors. Yeah, they're a great addition to the show. I wish we could go into them more because I, I love Suki. Here's the thing. We will 100% do more episodes on Avatar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because it's impossible to cover it all in one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Suki is... Originally, the character Suki and the Kiyoshi Warriors were supposed to be a one-off thing. But because fans love them so much and because the show thought, you know... The idea of a warrior group that was somehow able to stay out of the war, indifferent to the war, is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And they also, they, you know, they're big fans of the strong female characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, and in this in this tribe or on this island, only, all the women or only women kind are of, the warriors. Kind of reminds you of Amazon women in, yeah, in like a Wonder Woman. Yeah, 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 it's very similar. Yeah. So there's Grey Griffin as Azula. Shudder. Azula deserves. We, I could talk. We could do a whole episode about just Azula. Yeah. Azula is the most complicated person in this story. (laughs) She is. She's wonderfully complicated. Mm -hmm. I love. I love this character because she's someone that the audience loves to hate. But the thing about Azula is that she is a Zuko-like character where we have a villain, um, but it's so much easier to like Zuko. Zuko's designed to be liked. Azula requires so much more understanding for you to like her. Mm -hmm. You have to really kind of pay attention to the little things that she does. Yeah. And it's, like you said, she's a lot easier to hate. But when you really start to understand that stuff, our friend, our old roommate, Jesse loves Azula and it's her favorite character. I'm like, yeah. why do you like Azula so much? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Yeah. But you really look at it and it's like, just like every other character in this whole dang show, is so good. Written mm-hmm. so well and, and performed amazingly. Azula, her whole life hinges on this kind of, you know, she wants to be accepted by her dad. You know, she was never truly loved or accepted by her mother. At least that's how she felt. And she has these deep insecurities because of it. There's this episode called The Beach, I think. And oh, yeah. It's one yeah. of my favorite episodes. The episode focuses on the bad, the villain kids. Like the Aww. bad kids, right? It's Zuko, May, Tylee, and Azula. And they're all on this vacation together. And they go to a party. Azula gets rejected by a boy. You you see these human much more human elements to these characters and, yeah you know it, she tries to to like flirt kind of yes. and just fails miserably because yes. she doesn't know how to talk to a person normally mm-hmm. she's usually commanding like everyone else is listening to me they should fear me because that's the way it works yeah but then she's trying to be more one-on-one with somebody and it just falls flat yeah so gray griffin uh, she wasn't obviously the only one who went to audition for the part and a lot of the other women or girls that auditioned yelled when when she talked it was kind of like a yell and gray griffin was like you know what i need to do a softer voice because this character 
she has all this power. She doesn't need to compensate by yelling. She is powerful and people yeah, will listen. <laughs> that makes sense. She'll just roast you if you don't listen. She doesn't have to yell at you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and another fun fact, my other cat is named after Azula. And it gives you an idea <laughs> no. of her personality. <laughs> so James Garrett played Avatar Roku, an important character in the show. Yeah. 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 And Mark Hamill played Fire Lord Ozai. What? I remember when oh, I figured Hamill? that out watching the show. Mind blowing, right? Yeah, it blew my mind. I said, yeah, but, Luke Skywalker is yeah. the Fire Lord. Yeah, but now you hear it and you're like, wow. I, I can't. totally hear it. Yes. <laughs> I can't unhear Mark Hamill. He is such a good voice actor. He really is. Oh yeah. God, he's so good. And uh, yeah, the Fire Lord is really the only true villain in the show. We don't have we don't really have enough of him to really you know to defend him very much. <laughs> but yeah, the Fire Lord, the Phoenix King. I'll I'll say if there was one thing that extending the show beyond the finale would have kind of lent itself to would be a little bit more of that. Yeah, a little bit more explanation of Zuko's family, mm-hmm. specifically the Fire Lord. Maybe what happened to his mother. But I, but I would rather have it end that way than, yes. than continue. But that would be like one thing to maybe be interesting afterward. So what are you guys' experiences with the show? You know, I, I actually didn't watch very much of it while it was airing on TV. I, I mean, I caught bits and pieces of it. I watched a few episodes at a time when it was airing um, in season two, I believe, because I remember very vividly seeing the, the library in the desert yeah. episode, but not until later. And, and you, Robin, uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't know. You didn't, I didn't know I played a role in this. <laughs> you, well, well, a lot of times you show us stuff that we get into, mm. but in this case, you had already just been in it. You know, you'd been watching it from the beginning. Right. Mm hmm. And I just saw how much you liked it. You didn't necessarily show it to me in this t- this time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were a few episodes. You're like, oh, I love this episode. Check it out. I had a cassette tape that I taped some t- some episodes on. Yeah, TV. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a little bit of that. But I did eventually go like, what? what? what's going on with this? Let so many people like this show. I didn't watch <laughs> yeah. so much of it. Because I didn't have the overarching story going on because I didn't watch it as it aired. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm like... You know, I went back and watched it. Finally, eventually, when it was on Netflix, was able to watch it straight through once. And, oh, God, it's so good. Yeah. Loved it so much. And that's why when Korra came out, I definitely made sure to watch that as it was airing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, same with me. I I didn't watch it when it was airing. And I don't remember if you, Robin, showed me it or if you just talked. I, I know you talked about it a lot. And... I know that you saw some episodes be- when we were in high school. At least, okay, yeah. Because I had some taped off TV, and I did. Uh, that's what I thought. I did. We have yeah. a friend. Our friend Mary was over with us, and it was so funny. I put on some Avatar, and Mary meant to text her friend Alyssa, but she accidentally texted me. She said, "Alyssa, help, please. They're making me watch Avatar." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember. I, I gave her such shit for that. That was so yes. funny. Oh, Mary. <laughs> Mary. It's so funny. Whatever, and, but, the show's good. Uh, yeah. So I did. I I when it when it came on Netflix, I just 
binge the entire yeah. thing because it was so good. Um, yeah, I guess my experience is a little bit different. So <laughs> I was 12, almost 13 when this show came out. So I was the the age of the main character. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep. The show was on. I think I might have seen a promo for it, but I was ready for it. Like I mm-hmm. sat down, like I had a bowl of popcorn. I was watch. I was going to watch the sh- my show. I absolutely loved it. I can picture myself watching the beginning of it right when it was coming out for the first time, and I was so into it. And it ended on a cliffhanger. The first episode is a two-parter, mm-hmm. and it ends on a terrible cliffhanger. And I, I <laughs> so it got to a point where they would air on like Friday nights, and I, I, I was, you know, I, I, I knew when the specials were coming out. I remember when the Winter <laughs> Solstice episode was coming out. I sat down. I was ready. You know, I have oh. this really strong memory of just being ruled by this show That's i knew awesome. when, yeah i knew when it was going to be on i knew you know and, and that was my my tv time and, and mm-hmm. everybody seemed to respect it i remember Good. my sister rita was started watching it she, this is pretty cute you know she's like oh this is a cute Aww. little show you know and it was just the first two episodes you yeah. know and so it was and i had, by the time the next episode had come out i had seen the first two episodes so many times because nickelodeon used to just i don't know if they still do it but they used to just if they had something new they'd run it over and over and over again mm-hmm. and so i got really into this show and i started telling people about it hey you should watch this show on nickelodeon i really like it it's really good my sister becky started watching it with me because Aww. she really had no choice <laughs> and um you know as i was watching it my mom would come in and go wow this is this is very dramatic for a kids show this is really <laughs> dramatic and she'd she'd laugh at me and make fun of me and then i said mom you have to watch the whole thing yeah so <laughs> i sat down i made my mom watch the whole thing i've seen the show so all the way times. through i i don't know how many times it's been at least 10 to 12 times mm-hmm. and i had her and i remember because i remember when i knew i had her hooked because we we were at the season one finale, me and my mom, and it, uh, it it was part one of the finale, and it had ended. And my mom sat there, and it was quiet, and she goes, did you have to wait a whole week before you found out how that ended? <laughs> I said, yes, uh-huh. I did. <laughs> she said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I remember, oh. you know, I watched that with her. And it's so real. It's it was such a wonderful experience watching it. I love showing it to new people because every time you know we watch together, and it's always a little slow in the beginning, but then they get really into it, and you know they they just kind of accept the show and what it is. And I I just you know going through the emotions of the episodes, you know these great moments where, you know just about friendship and love, and it was such a big part of my life. And so I'm really grateful that the show exists. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, there's a quote from the uh, from the documentary about the show where one of the people sitting in on the premiere of the finale in a, in a theater, his wife sitting there squeezing his hand, and she says, <laughs> "This is the best thing you've ever been a part of." <laughs> and you know what? I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's mean to them. But. but I mean, really, you can understand after all of that, all of the hard work that they put in, and then it it climaxes at this amazing, amazing four part episode to yeah. to finish off this incredible show. It's it's unreal, man. It is, and I get really emotional talking about it because it was just such a big part of my life, yeah. and it's my favorite show. 
like ever. Period. I, I've yeah. seen it over and over and over <laughs> again, and I'll they, I don't I'll never get sick of it. Nope. You know, I just got the Blu-ray set last year. My brother made fun of me because I brought it to his house. And he looked at it. He said, do you just carry this with you everywhere you go? (laughs) (laughs) Just in case? (laughs) Someone wants to watch Avatar? I said, yeah. Well, dad was with me. I said, well, maybe dad wants to watch it. So, (laughs) which we finished it, by the way. And he loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course he did. Of course he did. Yeah, he loved it. So, yeah. So that... I mean, I feel like we've really covered our bases. Is there anything else you guys want to say about Avatar? I'm gonna watch it tonight. I know what I I'm feel watching. like I, I feel like I have to. Yeah, I gotta go watch some of it. If you haven't watched it, watch it already, for God's sake. Please. Um, but if you or if you know somebody who hasn't watched it, show it to them and let us know what they think. Yeah. You know, it'd be pretty dope. Well. I think that might be another case closed. You guys have been awesome. Thank you so much for listening to us. You can follow us on Twitter at Black Case Diary, on Instagram at Black Case Diaries Podcast. We have a Facebook if you want to look at it. We have a website, blackcasediaries.com. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash blackcasediaries. And if you are so inclined, if you enjoyed this episode or any episode that we've ever had, if you could please subscribe to our podcast. Maybe leave us a review if you want to. If not, that's totally fine. And, you know, we're on pretty much every podcast app you can think of. I check periodically just to make sure. (laughs) If I find a new one, I check to see if our show is on it. So, you know, CastBox, Podchaser is a good one. Yep. Uh, Radio Public, iTunes, Spotify, obviously, Stitcher, the big ones. Yeah. And then every little one that nobody's heard of. Yes. We're there. All of them. Please. And if we're not, let us know. Yeah. I'll make <laughs> yeah, sure. Good point. So thank you so much for listening to us, guys. We thank really appreciate you. it. Thank you so much. And thank you, Brian and Michael. Seriously, for, thank for you. For making an incredible piece of art. Yeah. So we will see you next time, perhaps. See you later. Bye. 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 It is important to draw wisdom from many different places. If we take it from only one place, it becomes rigid and stale. Understanding others, the other elements, and the other nations will help you become whole.